The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, my name is Maureen Metcalf, and you're listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, we're talking to Bina Sharma. She's the founder and president of the Center for Leadership Maturity, an enterprise dedicated to facilitating vertical development and enabling the development of greater maturity and wisdom in leaders, teams, and organizations. Bina is also the co-author of an upcoming book uh, that we're writing together about leadership maturity, and it's going to be in the form of a more of a corporate fable rather than a textbook like I typically write. So today, Bina, I'll talk about her experience with designing and delivering programs that have helped leaders mature. Uh, she's worked with major clients such as the U.S. Navy all the way to global corporations. Vertical development is becoming a really hot topic, and if you have questions about that, our first show, Leadership 2050, with Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow-Fox, gave a lot more detail about why this is the case in responding to the changes we're facing in our global environment, that leaders are facing a different level of maturity, requirement for maturity, based on the complexity they face, the interconnectedness of the world, and the capacities that will be required to move us toward 2050 in an environment that is much more volatile than we've seen in the past and where technology coming online is will happen at a rate 20,000 times more than the last century. So, so the range of things required for leaders to deal with is just larger vol- volume, more complexity, and more uncertainty. So the question becomes, how do we as leaders prepare to address the things that will inevitably be coming toward us, whether or not we like them? So in this show, Innovative Leaders specifically, I'm trying to help prepare current leaders and emerging leaders to be ready to deal with these changes as they come to you. So what can we do, what can I do specifically to provide information that will help you be not only ready but ahead of the curve? So my invitation to everyone listening, and this is an invitation for each week, is listen for one or two things that can help you be more prepared going forward and treat them as experiments. So we call it innovative leadership because the question is how, are, how am I, how are you, innovating or transforming your own self as the leader 
so that you are more effective in running your organizations. And we do that largely by experimenting with new behaviors and testing how they work for me. So they may work for Bina, they may work for um, Brian Robertson or somebody else, but how do they work for you as the human being that you are in your specific environment? And I recognize that for each of us, we'll, we'll do those slightly differently. So at this point, we're going to move to Bina. And Bina, tell us a little bit about who you are and how did you get involved in this vertical development stuff? You probably didn't uh, wake up in high school and say, this is what I want to spend my life on. Well, that's true, though. Uh, Early on, I knew that I was fascinated by development. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for having me. It's exciting to be with you uh, and in this conversation. I think um, I grew up in India, and I think, you know, part of the culture is more oriented philosophically. Um, And when I was uh, grown up and... um, realized that I couldn't be a doctor, I was really not clear about how I wanted to spend my life or what I wanted to do with my life. And when my daughter was born, I um, was looking for a school for her and realized that it was a very big deal for me to pick the right school, which led me to think that I was really interested in education and how we develop our children. And that led me to the importance of adult development. So it was fascinating for me to arrive at this vocation in some ways. I really feel this is what I was born to do. And personally, my life has been an instrument for me to study uh, development and how I have developed and what I'm interested in. So I come with about 26 years of experience in the field of human development. I started working with uh, cognitive skills initially. I was teaching thinking skills, uh, first in school systems and then in corporations. And I then realized that I was more interested in learning than thinking and got interested in how do we learn, how do we transfer knowledge and information into, um, um, into new ways of being. And um, very fascinated by how this happens in systems. So I started working with organizations in India and got trained in organizational development and change management. I came to the U.S. 15 years ago, and um, almost as soon as I got here, I was just lucky. I was involved with um, Ken Wilber's Integral Work and Integral Institute and came across um, the whole idea of human evolution through stages of maturity, and it totally fascinated me. So I have been involved with this work um, since 2003, very deeply engaged with understanding what is maturity and how do we, how do we facilitate our own development and others' development, keeping in mind a path that has um, been revealed through research and, and uh, theorizing based on empirical evidence. And the other big thing that I've been working on over the last 15 years is um, working with complexity and polarities and paradox, and that is intimately connected with maturity. So it feels like two great bodies of work have come together, and um, I work with both of those fields of inquiry and knowledge in integrated ways to serve individual teams and organizations. And, and so, um, 
At what point did, I think you and I met close to 2003. We were both already involved with Suzanne's work. Can you say a little bit about what is vertical development and what is this specific framework so people can understand vertical versus horizontal? For many people, those are new terms. Sure. Yeah, so it's easy to describe it in the context of horizontal development, so we make a distinction between two kinds of development. Horizontal development is when we are learning and growing, and what we are learning and growing are skills and capabilities, and we we learn new behaviors and we gain new knowledge. And fundamentally, what makes it horizontal is that we continue to look at the world in the same way, our fundamental beliefs beliefs and assumptions about the world don't change, but we have learned more, we have more knowledge, we have more skills, and we can do more things, we can expand those skills in other areas. That's horizontal development. Vertical development is different in that at some point in time in your learning process, there comes um, a shift when, as a result of the learning and experiences that you've had, you suddenly realize that the way you used to see the world, the way you used to see yourself, fundamentally has changed. You, the assumptions that you had, the, you know, what you thought about uh, how organizations work or how marriages work, you know, you had some ideas about those things. And when you actually go through the experience, the dynamic environment doesn't fit those ideas you have. And so in some ways you have to break those ideas and there's a new space or a new container that gets, that gets created, which is part of that vertical learning process. We, we create new frames to accommodate uh, experiences that don't fit our existing assumptions. And so uh, vertical development means that as you're learning, you come into a new stage of development and it changes the way you make meaning, the way you interpret your life and situations and other people fundamentally changes. And that is what makes it vertical. Um, As a result of uh, at least 40 years of research, uh, we know that all human beings do go through stages of development. There are nine such stages. Not everybody gets to the last stage or the latest stage of development, but... um, these stages are sequential and they are invariant. You can't skip a stage. It takes about three to five years to go from one stage to the next. And there's quite a bit of uh, understanding now about what these stages mean. Each stage is a um, constellation of um, um, beliefs and um, ideas about life and work. And uh, once you leave a stage behind and you move to a new stage, you have new ways of looking at the world. Um, would it help you to give, for me to give you an example? Yeah, I think so, because this is really conceptual, and having studied it, it makes perfect sense. But for folks who are hearing it for the first time, an example of something like horizontal, and I'm going to throw out some, some questions, and let me know if, if you disagree or agree. I'm assuming that teaching in a university, much of what students learn is horizontal development. There can be vertical, but often we teach additional skills, but I don't necessarily change the way I make sense of the world. Is that true? 
That's very likely. And if you're thinking about the way um, the learning is designed for students in a university, most likely, unless you have specific teachers or uh, uh, specific courses that are intended for you to be more reflective and do some, um, you know, um, some process of increased self-awareness. However, it could be that somebody who is at a university actually goes through a process of a stage development because of some critical events that have happened in their life. So somebody is coming to the university, the university is teaching them horizontal development or related input, but they've had a major shift in their personal life. Maybe they, they've just gotten into a new relationship or broken an old relationship or they've experienced some loss or they've come from a different place into a new city. All of these are very significant influences that can support vertical de- development regardless of what the university is offering them in terms of um, formal instruction. Actually, some of my students who are um, studying abroad seem to be seeing a very different um, perspective on the world. And, and my hypothesis is some of those may be developing vertically because of that broadening experience. It's not just that I'm taking an engineering course. I'm taking an engineering course in a different country, in a different language, in a different culture, and that may invite me to shift. Absolutely. I would agree with that totally. And nothing really challenges you as much as a different culture and a different language at the same time. It really, I think, uh, stretches your neural, neuronal networks, I think. So let me recap a couple things I think I've heard you say. That horizontal development is expanding my skills. Vertical development is changing the way I look at the world. And that often happens by reflection, being in a new environment, using a new language, being in a new culture, having a disorienting relationship change, could be marriage, could be divorce, could be just a breakup or a re-entry, could be a, a health situation, could be something with a parent if I'm talking about college students, maybe uh, divorce of a parent or death of a parent, something like that where my role in the world is now different as the elder in my family where before I was the child in the family. It's those not necessarily school learning activities, but shift in situation and my reflection on it that causes me to see the world differently. So it's the reflection process, not necessarily the situation itself. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, yes, and I would add that some of the uh, examples you gave were more critical incidents or um, in some ways really transformational experiences, and um, it doesn't necessarily have to be only in that way that vertical development happens. It could be that you are at a particular stage of development, you know, you continue to do your work the way you've done before, and over time, it just ceases to have that much meaning for you. You you outgrow it in some ways. You do the same thing year in and year out, and you begin to realize oh, this is not really getting me what I thought it was going to get me. 
So you get into an organization, you become a manager, and you think um, you can achieve a certain you know, level of outcome, you want to change the system and you come up with your strategic plans and you come up, you work the plan, you plan the work and you do it year after year. And, you know, in the fourth year, you're thinking, well, we do this year after year, but we're actually not getting what we uh, predicted we would get. And then you begin to realize that, oh, there's, you know, far more complexity here. There are more variables and you begin to see the limitations of a narrow, rational, predictive path. Mm -hmm. And so you then begin to uh, come up with uh, a deeper understanding of the complexities involved and you are no longer satisfied with doing the same things over and over again because they're not getting you what you thought you were going to get. So in some ways, uh, observing outcomes and um, thinking through whether these were the outcomes that you were looking for or if these outcomes didn't meet your intention, then it really challenges what you're doing. So you could have vertical development happen even in slow, in a slow incremental way. But the point is you really, it happens when you realize that what you thought is not true anymore or what you were doing doesn't work anymore. Perfect. Okay, so why don't we go to a break here because this seems like a natural point. So I can develop either because of a disorienting or transforming situation and or just the normal process of life. That as Mm -hmm. I outgrow and mature, I am called forth to move to the next level. Yes, and it's and it's cool. and I would say it's important to who you are in company with because often someone else who's further along can influence you uh, in just your day to day working, and it can trigger a dissatisfaction or it can trigger an awareness about a dissonance, and you can begin to question. So I think there are other influences also that can support your vertical development. Cool. Thank you for summarizing that so completely. We're going to go to break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Bina Sharma, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're talking about stages of leadership maturity. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Maureen Metcalf. We're back with Bina Sharma. Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations. Today's topic is leadership maturity, looking at the stages of development. And Dina's going to talk about next more specifics about the stages and some examples of what, what might you notice in yourself and in others to give you some insight into where am I along, along this path. Sure. So I'm... I might start off by saying that we can look at stages in terms of two broad bands, and I would call them conventional stages and post-conventional stages. So conventional stages are earlier stages of development, and post-conventional are later stages. So at the early conventional stage, one of the markers is that there is a tendency to conform to what is expected of you. We call that the stage of the socialized self. At that stage, our identity comes from being accepted, uh, belonging to a group, and doing the right thing and following the rules and norms. And we've all pretty much established the foundations of ourselves and our identities by um, being at that stage of development. However, as we continue to grow and mature, we begin to separate ourselves and don't identify so much with the group that we belong to. And we now have a separate sense of ourselves as being independent. Now our identity doesn't come so much from um, looking outward and looking uh, or relying on our social programming, but it comes more from what we can do or what we know. So our sense of identity comes from our craft or our work or our role. So at this stage, you often see that people identify themselves with their professions or their roles. So when you ask a person, uh, you know, who they are, they say that they are a doctor or they are a housewife or they are um, a chef. 
And uh, the important thing at this stage is that they have a sense of independent self, but they still conform to authorities in their field. And if you um, give them feedback about their work or what they do, they can tend to be so identified with it that they feel um, you're attacking them or criticizing them when you give them any feedback about their work. So that stage is a tough stage to be at because you're just trying to get a sense of self based on, you know, your professional identity, if you will. Um, what the percentage of population is at that level? Just so we have a relative sense, is this a small group or is this like the main 30, 40% well, of the population? Yeah, I would say up to the, in the, up, up to the, Conventional stages, I would say between 70 and 80% of the population is um, really inhabiting those stages of development, which is quite, um, quite extraordinary when you come to think of it, that the percentage of people who go past the conventional ceiling is less than 20% based on some research. So, so these, these are jobs... Well, they're most jobs, it sounds like, that there are, it is the 20% that are senior executives. So is it, do we think that that the level of development matches the job? Um, Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because it it does depend on the organization and what criteria of success they have. So you could be at a conventional stage and be very successful in an organization and have a senior position in an organization. So it doesn't necessarily correlate with level of development. So that's a really important distinguisher, that level of development doesn't necessarily mean my level of success in a business or an organization. And at the same time, we can say that if you... If you had capacities at later stages of development, we believe that you would have a greater capacity as a leader that uh-huh. would be more likely to be able to facilitate, you know, team development and organizational transformation if you were able to handle greater complexity and had more systemic thinking and had greater self-awareness. These are all qualities of more mature leaders. And specifically in terms of percentage to your question at, at that stage, which is where you're identified by your role or work, which we call the specialist stage, uh, roughly I would say 35% of uh, people are at that stage. Okay, so I go from specialist, which those are mainly individual contributors and early supervisors. Is that an appropriate generalization? Yeah, but yes, and you could have you could have even um, you know high profile university professors who are at that stage because um, the focus um, you know even in that realm is to master material or to master knowledge. It doesn't demand self knowledge. Being a university professor doesn't demand that you have self knowledge. It demands that you have mastered the knowledge in your field. So, so the distinction here is I'm an expert in my craft or specialist, and my level of internal awareness is still relatively early. Could be, yes. Okay, so then what is the next level? I'm mature so the next beyond level, 
to... Yeah, the next level is this, is a significant leap over the previous level. It's called the independent stage or also called the self-authoring stage. And this is the stage that's um, most supported, highest stage supported by society. And at this stage, you're truly independent of conforming to even authorities in your chosen field. You truly... Um, are relying on your own understanding and uh, their self-generated perspectives and views. There is a more objective and scientific approach to even yourself. This is the first stage where you're open to somebody giving you feedback and you are, have the capacity to acknowledge saying, yes, actually, I think I could have done that differently, or yes, I think that was a mistake, and I will do something different next time. There is a certain distance they have to themselves. They have a more objective capacity to see themselves and own uh, where they could be doing something different. They have the capacity to change their attitude. You know, this is a remarkable leap in human development where um, we can't, we don't just change things that, you know, our actions or our behaviors that we can actually bring a shift in our mental attitude or psychological approach. So it's quite an, um, it's quite an advanced stage, and yet it also has its limitations. At this stage, there is a great belief that one can, um, you know, change the world and predict and make things happen. There's a belief that there is a reality out there that I can change. And it's only at the next stage when you get past the conventional stages that you begin to realize that it's not so simple that um, my idea of reality is actually something that I have created. And it's because of my upbringing and my conditioning. And, you know, you, you have another idea of reality and you have another perspective which is based on your conditioning and upbringing, and so now I begin to see relative, relative perspectives and that they're both right. I feel that there isn't, neither of us is more right than the other, which is another big leap in terms of maturity, is to acknowledge that there are different perspectives and there are all pers- many other perspectives are valid, just as much as my perspective is valid. That does sound like a big leap and helpful in negotiation and dealing with complex organizational situations where having the ability to negotiate nuances would be critical. Yes, and I think it's helpful particularly in situations where there's, there are conflicting views and conflicting opinions. It's easier for people at the independent stage and the next stage, which is the relative stage, to be able to integrate uh, other perspectives, uh, whereas the individuals that are socialized or the specialist self in conflict situations are more likely to hold a strong opinion about one or the other, and it can be more adversarial, more combative, and more a fight about who's right and who's wrong. And that begins to change at later stages. So it goes from my way or the highway kind of view to how do we find a win-win? Yes, and in between it would be, so one would be my way or the highway, and then it would be, uh, well, I know because I have done this and I have, 
you know, trained myself so I know and this is the right way. And then it goes to let's find a win-win. And then it goes to let's find a win-win not just for our for you and me, but let's see what's the impact on the system. And is this a win-win for short term or is it a win-win for long term? Are we looking at all stakeholders? Are we looking at what's invisible? So then there are other uh, more subtle and um, um, intangible parameters that are acknowledged and included in the thinking. So this would maybe even be something like the triple bottom line, that I'm not just looking at profit, but I'm also looking at other stakeholders and their point of view, even if they're not in the room. Yes. The only thing I would say to that is that even at the conventional stages, you can learn about it and be very effective at thinking um, about the triple bottom line. But if it is not mirrored with also an increased self-awareness and an increased capacity to reflect on how I contribute to situations, uh, both positive and negative, then we wouldn't say that just because a person is able to do systemic thinking and they can uh, think about multiple stakeholders and triple bottom lines, just because of that, we wouldn't say that they have a center of gravity at the later stage of development because there are multiple parameters that need to be there for it to qualify to be at a later stage of development. And these are the things that you're talking about that make leaders more effective, than that I can see multiple stakeholders and I can see myself and change myself in the process to be more effective. So I'm looking for cues on a regular basis for what am I doing that's working and more importantly, what am I doing that's not working that I can continue to refine my own self. Is that true? Yes, and and, uh, yes, that's uh, well described and also uh, reflecting on how am I coming in my own way or how am I contributing to situations where things are not going the way we would like them to go. So rather than externalizing it and, um, you know, trying to come up with a plan that takes care of external environment, it's also including oneself as uh, part of the contribution system. So, So in all of this, with each level of complexity, how I'm able to be aware of myself grows. It, just like my, my systems thinking expands, my ability to be introspective. So I'm growing out and I'm growing in. Is that? Yes. Yes. And, and as you become more developed, you are more willing to acknowledge your own limitations. And you don't have to be the one that is taking care of everything or the one that is leading you learn to rely on other resources without it diminishing your sense of self. And that's a sticky wicket, it seems, in an organizational leadership perspective, because I may be leading people who think I'm supposed to have all the answers, and yet I've matured to a level that I recognize that's just impossible. Yes, and um, I think this is where the polarity would come in. So it's not so much about uh, doing one or the other, but at later stages, people are able to step into uh, uh, more heroic leadership when needed and are able to step back 
and really facilitate leadership resources and others. So you've heard of the term servant leadership or serving leaders, for example. So leaders at later stages are able to do both, and they're able to harmonize and manage that polarity of being both directors when needed and participators or even followership when needed. So there's greater flexibility and a greater adaptability. So one of the, the cues I might look for in a later stage leader is they can take a range of roles with grace. So I could be a leader one day on a board of trustees and then I could be on a committee and be an individual contributor and I could do both equally as well depending on the, what, what was required of the situation and of me. I would say so, yeah. So interestingly, one of the things I hear from my students is leaders are supposed to be in charge, and yet you're saying, as I mature, I recognize that, in fact, not only will I not always be in charge, but it's not even appropriate to always be in charge. Rather, I should be, as a servant leader, looking for how do I best contribute in any situation. Is that accurate? I would say so, and the fact that you think early on that leaders should be in charge itself is uh, uh, is a manifestation of early stage thinking. Early early stages of development has a stereotype of leaders having a narrower definition, but those definitions change as we grow through our life experiences and realize that sometimes a person thinks they are in charge and they're actually not, and sometimes they uh, feel that that's the way to lead and they're not that effective in every situation um, interacting in that way. We can probably all point to examples of where someone thought they were in charge and we knew they weren't. Right. (laughs) So let's go to break here. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your hostess, Maureen Metcalf. And we are joined by Bina Sharma and talking about vertical development and the stage of, stage of leadership maturity model. We'll be back after break. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. 
For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf, and we're joined by Bina Sharma. We are talking about vertical development for leaders, specifically focused on a stage development model. And, Bina, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, now that we know conceptually that there are levels and that we move through them either based on a disorienting dilemma or transformational experience or as a natural process of growth. And we also know that the later stages are more effective specifically for leaders of large complex organizations. So, so we've made that uh, case. What might I think about and what might I do to actually help myself move through those levels? Well, um, one of the first things would be to understand the stage model so that you can better anticipate what's coming, what's next for you in your stage of development, and that you can better understand your current stage of development. Generally speaking, at earlier stages of conventional development, the impetus for learning is not so much from within. It, it really comes from external um, motivators, like you and the organization wants you to develop or your boss wants you to do something differently or learn a new skill or um, maybe as part of your career development, you want to get to the next title or the next position, and so that can become an impetus for your growth. Um, at later stages of development, uh, late conventional as the independent self and post-conventional, there's a natural curiosity and a natural interest in learning for learning's sake. And so it's much easier for those individuals because they naturally gravitate towards uh, growth experiences. So at earlier stages, for example, at the specialist stage where we talked about you're really identified by your work. If you're working with the coach, assuming you want to develop, then the coach would support you in uh, becoming more reflective, which is hard for that stage because there's such a focus on mastery of knowledge and um, mastery of content that 
to engage in a situation that is unfamiliar or that you don't know something about is not very comfortable and it's threatening. So one of the ways you can grow at that stage is to really consciously embrace an unfamiliar situation or to um, go to an event or go to a gathering that is about a topic that you know nothing about. And so putting yourself in a situation that's unfamiliar will stretch your mind. Another so in our that, first series, we talked about um, going on an outward bound trip, as an example, or I performed with a woman's African drumming group and I wasn't a musician. I was terrible. But mm-hmm. it was that putting myself in a situation that, that was unfamiliar and uncomfortable, I think, that yeah. helped support that growth. Okay, so then beyond the specialist level or, or additional recommendations at specialists, what might, what else might I want to think about or do? Um, I think uh, one of the big uh, drivers for development is really getting feedback. And usually at the specialist stage, there is not an inclination to ask for feedback which is why when when companies conduct 360-degree surveys, it can be traumatic for specialist managers who suddenly are sitting with what different people are telling them about themselves, and it can be quite uh, difficult to take on board. But one of the uh, fundamental ways to grow is to really seek feedback from others and because we often don't see how we come across to the other person, and we often don't realize that what how we see ourselves and how someone else sees us, see us is there can be a big difference. So one of the definitions of maturity is that you come closer and closer to reality uh, as you get mature. So you have less of a gap between what you think, who you think you are and who you actually are. So the more you can embrace uh, honesty with yourself and be open to acknowledging your own, um, you know, uh, vulnerabilities and limitations, the more it helps you uh, grow in in a sense. Um, Being aware of your strengths and being able to see when you tend, you know, when you tend to be coming from a smaller place, what kind of triggers in the environment push you to becoming more narrow-minded, if you will, or we might say helps, you know, makes you contract a little bit. Recognizing, understanding what these triggers are and then engaging with them is a big piece of growing up. So one of the things that we say often is um, when things are difficult, we want to avoid. We don't want, we want to suppress them or we want to, we just cope by not acknowledging that things are difficult internally. And so one of the standard instructions I would give to anybody that wants to develop and become more mature is if you are uncomfortable about something or you find something is really challenging, that's a sure signal that that you need to engage with that. It's only, you know, the only way is through. You can't bypass it because if you bypass it or shut it down, then there's going to be a time later that you would have to go back and work through it or integrate it. 
So working with what's difficult is, uh, I think, an important um, important invitation to have the conversations that you don't want to have. That's an important invitation. So Deal with what's an example difficult. of, again, just in my earlier development, one of the first times I got feedback from a boss was I had talked to somebody and his boss at a social event and uh, he gave feedback that I had significantly undermined him, which was not my intent. I was horrified. I felt like I should probably quit my job because I had made this error that was so grievous. And now when I make a mistake like that, hopefully I don't make nearly as many, but I take it in very differently that now a mistake doesn't cause me to think I need to quit my job, but it certainly causes me to seek feedback earlier and more often so that I am less likely to make a grave error. But it was only through that massive discomfort of making a mistake that was public that I, I learned, and again and again and again, that little bits of feedback on a very regular basis allowed me to be more effective. And it still doesn't feel good necessarily to make a mistake, but the, developing that as a core view isn't a representation of moving from that earlier development to openness to feedback being a, a later stage. Yes? I would say so, yeah. And we all have had experiences like that. That's how we learn and grow when we really fail or fall. And then initially it's a matter of shame and then we become defensive. And then we, when, when it gets pointed out, we are more concerned about our intent and we sometimes don't even acknowledge the impact. We, we even discount the reality of the other person because we're more concerned about what we were trying to do. And then we, we, we begin to learn that, okay, it's not just my intent, but it's the impact. And then we learn to recognize that, you know, the other person's truth is something that I need to acknowledge. It's something that I contributed to. And then we begin also to see that that doesn't mean, you know, we have to kill ourselves so that we are bad people. We have a larger, uh, a larger space for different parts of ourselves and different aspects of ourselves. And uh, we have more compassion for ourselves than others. So all of those would be qualities that come on board as we, we become more mature. And yet there, it's hard. This is hard work. Yes, it is. And I think change is the hardest work of all. And um, unfortunately, uh, with, with the proliferation of leadership development and training, the fundamental assumption, which is a conventional assumption, is that you can go into uh, a leader development class and just come out and be a better leader right after the class. And it's not true. Change is hard work, and it's work over time. It takes well, time. And here, the distinction that seems important here is the difference between I develop a skill like I'm a better time manager and I fundamentally change the way I see myself in the world. Those are hugely different. And... And you said three to five years to move between levels. This isn't a two-day weekend intervention or workshop. That is correct. And even in relation to skill development, sometimes we hit a limit and we can't get beyond a certain level of skill because we have barriers that come in that prevent us from applying that in a new situation. And then we get 
um, in some ways limited because we can only apply the skill in some ways. So we learn about improving relationships at work and we do programs at our workplace and we practice it and we can do better with our colleagues. And then we come back home and we are with our family and we slip back into uh, more earlier ways of interacting, even with family members. And so this gap between how I might learn a skill and apply it in one situation, how that doesn't carry over to the other situation, indicates that there are some deeper barriers that, you know, it means I have to go a little bit deeper. It means I have to do some harder work to understand what are what's coming in the way of me doing what I can do with my colleagues, but to be able to do that with my sibling or my spouse or my children, to have that kind of objective view is a big step. It seems like for any of us who are professionally successful going home to see parents, for those of us lucky enough to still have living parents, can throw us into an entirely different realm of functioning. Yes. And that, that in and of itself presents an opportunity because I can find that part of myself that needs to develop and, and almost, in quotes, grow up, right? That I find parts of myself that have been easy to grow and develop and, and they seem to go about smoothly. And then I bump into something and have the um, almost experience of when I see bugs, like, ooh, I, that was a part of myself that was really kind of embarrassing and I, I wouldn't want to tweet about it. Um, so how do I cultivate those opportunities to recognize that as a leader, I actually have many little tiny parts and, and part of this vertical development is creating opportunities for each of those to grow because it's, it is as we bump into the, the parts that seem a bit embarrassing that those are additional opportunities or invitations to attend to things that would hold us back otherwise. Absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest gifts of this model is you can reflect on your own responses to situations and begin to see when you come from a more, a less mature place and when you tend to come from a more mature place and you have a framework that you can use to understand this and then you can actually coach yourself and support yourself if you understand this framework well enough, you you have uh, far more uh, resources and opportunities to develop yourself into more mature ways of being. So, Bina, I'm going to ask you one question as we're wrapping up. Is there an article or a place someone can go to read about what are these stages of maturity? We've referred to the model, and yet we haven't said go click on this website to find it. Yes, um, there is an, an article in the Harvard Business Review that was published a while ago, and I know that it would be available on our website shortly. We are just building our website, so right now it's not available, but in about a month we will have more resources at the website. So there's an HBR article, there's an article published by Suzanne Kupreuter, who is my mentor, colleague, and co-founder of the Center for Leadership Maturity who I want to appreciate and acknowledge uh, has done some original research in the later stages of maturity. So there's an article written by her and published in um, 
in the Journal of Industrial Psychology. That is a great uh, descriptive article. And uh, the Center for Leadership, uh, for Creative Leadership, has published articles on vertical development, so those are also available. Uh, our website is verticaldevelopment.com, so you could go there, and in a month we would have more resources available. Okay, and the, the article by, in the, the Harvard Business Review, I think is The Seven Levels of Transformation by Bill Torbert. Is that the one? That is correct, by David Drook okay. and Bill Torbert. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to shift to close us out. And there, we I also have some articles on my website. Uh, it, so it's metcalf-associates.com under the publications tab, free articles, and one is the story of Jill gives a concrete example of how an individual would move through these levels so it can give an opportunity to see what they are. And I really encourage people, again, to think about who am I, how have I moved through these, and where am I now? So what might my opportunities for growth be? So this is Maureen Metcalf. We are Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we've been joined by Bina Sharma today talking about what are these, what is the vertical development model. She runs the Center for Leadership Maturity, and again, the, those articles will be available on her website in the near future. I do invite you to send us comments or questions. Email me at info at metcalf-associates.com, and I'm happy to share them on future recordings and also make information available on my website and on the blog. So if you have questions, I can also respond to the broader audience uh, by way of blog posts. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.